When we think of Bethlehem, we think of the manger. We think of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. We think of the angel chorus and all the blessings of that first Christmas. We think of the wise men bringing gifts to Jesus and Mary and Joseph. But what we don't think about as often, but is just as biblical, is the suffering and bitter days that the little town of Bethlehem saw. You remember when the wise men came looking for a newborn king, they didn't come to Bethlehem, they came to Jerusalem. After all, Jerusalem was the capital, that's where you would expect to find a king. And as they started asking around and made it to Herod's court, Herod called his Bible scholars together and asked them where the Christ, where the promised king was to be born. And they told him that the prophet said that the king was to be born in Bethlehem. And so that's where the wise men went, and that's where Herod sent his soldiers to try to get rid of the newborn king. And that's why Matthew says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. A great blessing was given in Bethlehem, but there was great bitterness and sorrow at the same time. And that was not the first time something like that had happened in Bethlehem. Bethlehem had seen hard days before, and blessing too. It was no accident that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Bethlehem was the city of David. And God said that it was from David's line that the promised Messiah, the Savior King, would come. And so we're going to look this morning at a story that takes place in Bethlehem several hundred years, in fact over a thousand years before Jesus was born. It's in a little book in the Old Testament called Ruth. If you'll turn with me there to Ruth chapter 1, we will see the bitterness and blessing that took place in the little town of Bethlehem. And I hope that by the time we're through, you'll see that this story in Bethlehem is not just about Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, but it's also about Jesus, and it's also about you and me. Ruth, the book of Ruth, has a bitter beginning. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. That's a bitter beginning. It's bitter in part because of the time in which this story takes place. We're told it took place in the days when the judges ruled. Now, I don't know when the last time was that you read the book of Judges. 
But if you're familiar with the book of Judges, you know the days of the Judges were dark days. If you read through the book of Judges, you'll find some of the most disturbing and troubling stories anywhere in the Bible took place in the time of the Judges. There was perversion, there was idolatry, there was repeated rebellion against God, and it was in those days, those dark days, that the story of Naomi and Ruth takes place. It was also a dark time because there was a famine in the land. There was not enough food for the people. Now, the poignancy of that problem really comes home when you realize that the name of the town, Bethlehem, means house of bread. So there are people essentially begging for bread in the house of bread, in the promised land that's supposed to be the land of milk and honey. There's not enough food for God's people. And so, this man from Bethlehem, Elimelech, and his wife and his two sons, they make a hard decision and leave the promised land and go outside to the country of Moab, where they were strangers and sojourners. They went there, no doubt, hoping that their circumstances would be better, that there would be bread, that there would be a chance for life, that there would be a chance for them to prosper in Moab. But in Moab, things just got worse. Verse 3 says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Mercy. Mercy. So they left famine and darkness, coming to Moab, hoping for a better life. And instead, Naomi is now a widow, who's also bereft of her two sons. And she's left with two Moabite daughters-in-law. Now, I don't know if this is starting to sound like your story yet, but has anybody in here had a year like this? Maybe a decade like this? Where you just felt like no matter what you did, things kept getting harder? You made some hard decisions hoping it would turn out better and in the end it turned out worse? Maybe your circumstances are not quite as severe. But whatever your circumstances are, if you've wondered if things could get any worse, if they could get any harder, if they could get any more painful, if you've started second-guessing your decisions, maybe I shouldn't have gone to Moab in the first place. Maybe we should have stayed. I wonder if these things will even ever get better. I wonder if God knows what's happening. I wonder if He cares about the distress and the trouble in my life then you probably know a little bit of what Naomi felt like. Yeah, 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 yeah. At this point, when Naomi has probably reached rock bottom, 
She finally hears a rumor of good news in verse 6. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So after 10 years or more of living in Moab, Naomi finally hears that God is blessing his people once again. He is giving them food. And so she arises to leave Moab, to go back to the promised land in the hope that things will finally get better. And while she's on her way, she speaks to her two daughters-in-law and tells them both to stay in Moab, to go back to their father's houses in the hopes that perhaps they can marry again and have children and families and be blessed. And Orpah agrees. She goes back home. Yes, sir. But Ruth refuses. Ruth doesn't want to go back home. She now considers Naomi her home. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. wants to go home with Naomi. She wants to go back to Israel. She says, your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. Where you go, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. Now, we love those verses. But I suspect, and I can't prove this, but I suspect that Naomi was not really happy to hear those words. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. She's ready to go home. To go back with her people, she probably doesn't want this Moabite daughter-in-law tagging along. You're right about it. You're right about it. One of the reasons why is because it's hard enough for one widowed woman to take care of herself in those days. Yeah, she's got a daughter-in-law too that she's going to be trying to provide for, take care of. She's taking her into a new land she's not familiar with. A Moabite in Israel is probably not going to be favored, probably not going to be accepted, probably not going to be a lot of neighbors happy that she's moving in. So I suspect that Ruth was not real excited about, excuse me, Naomi was not real excited about Naomi coming back with her. And one of the reasons we can tell that is because of what she says when she gets back home. Look at verse 19 with me. When she gets home, it says, So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And the women, or excuse me, and she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Now you probably know that Naomi means pleasant. She said, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Yes, sir. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. What about Ruth? <laughs> I don't think she's really excited to have Ruth with her. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi Naomi saw some dark days. Naomi lived in some hard times. And I know... We in this room could tell some stories of dark days and hard times. We've seen some things in our own 
world in our own time that could rival the darkness of the days of the judges. Some of us have had to make hard decisions that maybe even our brothers and sisters have second-guessed and criticized us for. Perhaps you too feel like your life is being emptied of all that is pleasant and good. So if you can see yourself in Naomi's story, know that God sees you there too. He knows what's going on. And perhaps, perhaps even now, He has planted a hidden blessing in your life that in this moment feels like a burden, but that He is about to turn into a blessing. Naomi has no idea how God is going to use Ruth wow. to turn her life back right side up. He has no, she has no idea how God is going to use That's Ruth good. to That's restore good. blessing to her life. Right now, Ruth probably just feels like a burden. But she's about to be a blessing. Wow. Look at verse 22 of chapter 1. Here's, here's where the story starts to turn. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. They left in the midst of a famine, but they returned at the time of harvest. Things are just about to get really good. Now what happens next You can't make this stuff up. In Israel, there is a law that provided for the families of widows. The law of the kinsman redeemer. And it provided for a close kinsman to be able to redeem the property of a man in Israel who had died so that his name would live on. So that his name, his property, his inheritance would not perish from the people of Israel, but his his name, his property, his family would continue. Now we're told at the beginning of chapter 2 that there's a man in Israel whose name was Boaz, who was a close kinsman of Elimelech. That's a little clue for us that maybe this man can help them, can bless them, can restore something to them. And it turns out that he does. Ruth wants to be helpful, doesn't want to be a burden. And so she begins to go out into the fields at harvest time. Again, the, the law of God in the Old Testament provided for the, the poor and the, the widow to be able to go into the fields and glean the leftovers when the harvesters came through and, and harvested the barley or the wheat or whatever it was, that they could come through and pick up what's left on the ground, what gets missed, and that way they would be provided for. They would have some food. So Ruth says, let me go out into the fields and, and I'll glean for us and I'll help provide for us in that way. And so Ruth goes out and it just so happens that she walks into the field of Boaz. Yes, sir. Now, the way the Bible says it is that this was sort of a, a chance occurrence, right? Verse 
3 says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened. And I think if they had had quotation marks in Hebrew, they would have put that word in quotation marks. <laughs> she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. He just just accidentally ended up in the one place where somebody could really help her and help Naomi. Of course, it wasn't an accident. That's a way of, of, of sort of you know elbowing us in the ribs and, and winking at us and saying, God is at work. Ruth doesn't know it. Naomi doesn't know it. It's, it's not a big miracle. It's not a dramatic sign. But God is invisibly at work directing the steps of Ruth in order to bless her and Naomi. In the same way, you have no idea what God might have waiting for you right around the corner. You have no idea whose field you might wander into, what conversation you might accidentally have, what person you might bump into at the store at just the right moment. You never know what God is about to do. Yes, sir. And stories like this remind us not to despair when things get dark. You're right, God. Because You're right, we never know when God is about to turn the lights back on. We never know when God is about to bless us in some unexpected way. Now, Boaz took notice of Ruth. He said, Who's that? Who's that lady over there harvesting in the field? Who is that? And Boaz heard her story. He heard about what she had done for her mother-in-law. He heard about how she had come to Israel. And he heard about all the things that she was doing. And he took notice of her. And he provided for her. He protected her. He told his men in the field, he said, don't, don't you touch her. You leave her alone. He said, in fact, when you're harvesting... I know you guys are good at your job, but I want you to deliberately leave a little more behind. Pull some out of the sheaves even. Leave it behind so that Ruth has plenty to pick up as she's gleaning. I want her provided for. He uh, allows her to eat at the table with him and his men. And he gives her abundant food so that when she comes home, Naomi knows something's going on. Uh, Naomi, Naomi looks at her and says... Whose field have you been in today? Somebody has taken notice of you. And when she finds out that it's Boaz, you'd almost see Naomi start to rub her hands together. Oh, Boaz. You know, I know Boaz. Boaz is part of our family. He's a member of our clan. This might turn into something really good. Now Naomi is starting to hope again. Now Naomi is starting to see God's hand at work again. She's starting to believe again that God can bless her and provide for her. Yes, sir. Now, why does the Lord extend this kindness not only to Naomi, but also to Ruth? I mean, Ruth is a Gentile. Right? We're in the Old Testament. We don't expect... Though it does happen occasionally, we don't expect, and and probably Naomi didn't expect, for God to extend His blessings to a Gentile, to a Moabite woman. But He did. Mm -hmm. 
Right? Notice Naomi says in verse 20, she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. In other words, in Boaz's uh, provision and protection, I see the hand of the Lord. I see His kindness at work. Now, why is God's kindness falling upon Ruth? We find the answer in the words of Boaz in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Here's what Boaz says. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth is a disciple of the one true God. These words, I think, had to be in Jesus' mind when he said to some of his own disciples in Matthew 19, 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Is that not what Ruth has done? She left her country. She left her kindred, just like Abraham. And she went to a new land, trusting that the one God could provide for her and take care of her. Jesus also said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, is that not what Ruth has done? Left everything behind and taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel, the one true and living God? She has done the same thing that Jesus has called us to do. To leave everything behind. Leave our old life behind. If necessary, leave family behind in order to love Him and trust Him and follow Him and obey Him, to put everything else in second place and give our ultimate allegiance to Jesus, the King. And He promises a full reward to everyone who does that. Everyone who says, I'm willing to die to my old life. Everything that I've known, everything that I've been, I'm willing for that to be crucified so that I can belong to Jesus and be a new creation. And Jesus says, if you turn from your sin and you trust in Him, then you'll be welcomed into the kingdom of God. You get forgiveness and righteousness and joy and peace. You become a new creation. You get a new life. It's the gospel right here in Ruth. Preach. Now, Naomi... She wants to help Ruth get this going. You know, Boaz is paying attention, but, you know, sometimes us guys, we need a little help to, you know, sort of nudge us over the line. So Naomi hatches a plan with Ruth, and uh, it works. 
Right? Chapter 3 is all about this plan. It was a risky plan. Right? It was a risky plan, but it worked. Yeah, yeah. And when Boaz, who was not a young guy, realized that Ruth wanted him to marry her, he said, all right. Now there's one guy who, you know, he has a closer right to redeem you and Elimelech's property than I do, but if, if he... If he doesn't, you know, want to do that, then I, I'm next in line, and I'll be happy to. And uh, so she, Ruth comes home and tells Naomi this, and she says, you just sit still for a minute, honey. He will finish this before the day is done. He's going to get this sorted out. And sure enough, he does. Boaz goes to the city gate. He says, you come here, you come here. He gets a few men together to be witnesses. He gets this other man in who's a closer redeemer and, and sets up the transaction and gives him the opportunity to redeem the property. And, and uh, he's a smart man, so he said, land I can redeem? Yeah, that sounds good to me. And then Boaz said, well, understand, if you redeem the land, you also get Ruth. He said, ooh, I can't do that. If I do that, that's going to mess up some other things for me. I, I, I can't make that work. And so Boaz said, well, I'll, I'll do it. I'll redeem Ruth, I'll perpetuate the name of Elimelech and his family. And so Ruth and Boaz are going to get married. Boaz redeems Ruth, provides for her, protects her, takes her as his wife. And the witnesses there, just like we, we toast the bride and groom at a wedding, in the same way the witnesses here who see this redemption take place they speak a blessing over Ruth and Boaz that probably goes uh, was fulfilled in ways that, that they didn't even expect. Right, look at verse 11 of chapter 4. So we're in chapter 4 now. Verse 11 says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house... Like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So they speak this blessing. May, May your wife, may Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. Now you remember the story of Rachel and Leah. These were wives of Jacob. Between the two of them, they had eight sons. Eight of the twelve tribes of Israel were born to Rachel and Leah. They built up the nation of Israel. They built up the people of God. And they mentioned Perez, who is one of Boaz's ancestors. Boaz, who was one of the sons of Judah, you remember that Judah is the tribe that the kings were going to come from. Genesis 49.10, God promised that the scepter would never depart from Judah. So they speak this blessing, and they, they mention, they, they ground this blessing at the end in the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. In other words, we want you to have lots of babies. Uh, We want you to have lots of children. We want you to have offspring. Because that's one of the things God promised to Abraham, right? That he would multiply his offspring. 
And one of the reasons why they are always paying attention to their genealogies and whatnot is because they were looking for the Messiah. That one offspring God had promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden and all the way through Genesis and all the way through the Old Testament saying there's going to be a baby born who will be a king, who will be a savior. You need to be watching for him. So they're eager for Ruth to be a part of building up the house of Israel, building up the house of Boaz. And their blessing, their prayer, their, their hope was fulfilled. Boaz and Ruth had a baby. And the story shifts its focus back to Naomi. We'd expect it to be focusing on Ruth right now, but it goes back to Naomi. Remember the, the bitterness and the darkness and the hardship of Naomi back in chapter 1. Look at what God has done now, verse 14 of chapter 4. It says, The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He's talking about his, her grandson now who's just been born. Verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Any grandparents who feel like their grandkids have done that for them? A restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. I I didn't say it. It's just right there. That's the book. That's the book, Doc. And then they add, for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Wow! So not only did she leave full and come back empty, probably not meaning to insult Ruth, but kind of insulting Ruth, right? I've come back empty. This, This woman doesn't count. Now that woman is more to her than seven sons. And through that woman, God has provided the grandchild she probably never thought she would have. A redeemer, a blessing, a nourisher, a restorer of life. That's a great blessing. If the story ended right there, it'd be a great story. I already, I mean... God has done in four chapters what it usually takes Shakespeare five acts to do, right? <laughs> Go through the tragedy and end up with the marriage. We got it in four chapters. But the story's not over. Naomi takes the child, verse 16, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, wait a minute. This story that started in the days of the judges. If you didn't have the book of Ruth, and all you had was the book of Judges, you'd think there wasn't anything going on good in the days of the judges. It was all bad. I mean, there were, you know... there. There was, you know, a few of the judges that were not too bad, but even most of them ended up messed up, right? I mean, think about Samson. Samson. 
Think about Gideon. Right? They, God used them. God raised them up. But just like Abraham and Moses and everybody else, they were broken too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The days of the judges were dark. It didn't look like God was up to anything great or good. It looked like He just more or less handed His people over to their own rebellion and sin and idolatry. But in this little book, we are told that even in the midst of those dark and difficult days, God was at work in a Moabite woman, in a widow named Naomi, in a worthy man named Bethlehem, in what looked like a random field, bringing about the one thing that Israel needed most in those days. Remember what the, how the book of Judges ends? At the end of the book of Judges, three different times, it says something like this. There was no king in Israel, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. What did they need? They needed a king. And nobody could see it, and nobody knew it, but in the midst of those days, God was raising up for Israel, the greatest king that they ever had. He was preparing through the family of Ruth and Boaz to bring into the world not only Obed, but from Obed, Jesse, and from Jesse, David. We've got to take it one step further, though. Take a step. Because what did God promise to David? God told David, you know all those promises you've been believing for hundreds and thousands of years about a Messiah, about a child who'd be born, who would come and conquer your enemy, who would crush Satan and crush the enemies around you who've been trying to destroy you and your people. Well, David, through you, I am going to bring into the world a son who is going to sit on your throne, not for 20 years, not for 40 years. He's going to sit on your throne, and I'm going to establish His kingdom forever. Your offspring is going to rule over an eternal kingdom. And when the angel came and spoke to Mary... And told her that she was going to have a son. The angel said to her, your son is going to sit on the throne of his father, David. You see, you just don't know. You just don't know. In the darkest, bleakest, hardest times, when it looks like God is absent when it looks like God is not at work, when it looks like things could not get worse, it may be in that very moment that God is working to bring about a greater blessing than you have ever seen. Is that not what happens in the story of Christmas? Was everything going great in Israel that first Christmas? Oh, it was great. You could have the Roman soldiers over for dinner, you know, and everything was just, everybody was happy and, you know, and they were excited about the census and getting to pay more taxes. Uh, It was a hard, 
bitter, painful time. The people of Israel were longing for the Messiah. They were longing for the Romans to be cast off. They were longing to finally be free and restored to the place in the world that God had promised them. And that is when God fulfilled the promise of Isaiah that Pastor Irvin read for us earlier. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness. That could apply to Naomi. That could apply to Ruth. That could apply to you. could apply to me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Why? For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Wherever you are in the story, wherever you are in the story, you may not be able to see what God is going to do next. You might not know what is right around the corner. But wherever you are in the story, if you belong to Jesus, I can tell you how your story ends. Your story will not end in darkness. Your story will not end in depression and distress. Your story will not even end in death. But a day is coming when the child who was born in Bethlehem will once again plant his feet upon this planet and he will bring a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation will dawn. His people who have trusted in him in the midst of great darkness will rise from death and be resurrected to reign with Him, to dwell with Him, to see His face, to live with Him in a place where death and sin and sorrow and heartache and pain are banished once for all. And we will join Him in that eternal kingdom. And darkness will be no more, the Scripture says. And the glory of God will be our light. Let's pray.